Can I turn your attention back to John 14? I'm just going to look at uh, verses 1 to 3 uh, this evening. Um, and it's uh, a passage um, that I've been thinking a lot about uh, recently. Um, the thought of heaven has been much on my mind and in my heart. Uh, we um, are experiencing um, a lot of illness at the moment in our own church, and we're going to be burying our treasurer on Tuesday, um, who passed away fairly suddenly on uh, New Year's uh, Day. And so with the reality of death around, it's always good to think about heaven, isn't it? I think it was Gladiator, the film Gladiator, the Russell Crowe, uh, where there's a scene where um, he says, death smiles at us all, and all we can do is smile back. Well, I think the Bible has got a much better answer than that. Much better. Um, the passage here, John chapter 14, uh, verses 1 uh, to 3, uh, it's part of a wider portion. Um, and you see that from verses 1 all the way up, really, to chapter 16 uh, to verse 33, where really it's uh, Jesus saying goodbye to his disciples. It's called the farewell discourse. And he's saying goodbye to his disciples, and he's preparing them for what uh, is to come. By this point, chapter 14, verse 1, uh, his disciples, I think, have realized that their worldly idea of uh, an earthly uh, sort of Messiah, an all-conquering Messiah that would uh, deliver Israel, was at best misplaced. In fact, the disciples' whole world at this point was coming crashing down all around them. Uh, Jesus, of course, before this, had repeatedly predicted his death uh, as a sacrifice for others. He'd also predicted the betrayal of one of his own, Judas, and he'd also predicted Peter's denial. Uh, and on top of all that, he told them that he would be leaving them soon, and where he was going, they could not come. Uh, and so it was a difficult time for the disciples. But I think as well, it was a, an incredibly difficult time for Jesus. We forget his hum humanity often, don't we? Uh, but it was a dark time uh, for Jesus. This is a time of extreme pain. Not only were his so-called friends deserting him and denying him and betraying him, it was now only a few hours before the agony of Gethsemane and the torment of the cross. Yet amazingly, Jesus at this point is not focused on his own needs. And I think this is amazing. Uh, when I was writing this sermon, I was bad. And you know what that means, I was ill. Uh, and for men, we do not cope with illness very well, do we? Uh, and I was wanting a little bit of sympathy and when you're ill, you want someone to come alongside you and offer you some lemsip or what have you. But I've grown up in a, in a family where my mother was a nurse, so you don't get any sympathy there. And now I'm married to a teacher, a primary school teacher, and their best idea of helping somebody who is ill is go and have a drink, isn't it? That's the answer that the teacher always gives, go and have a drink. Um, but that's just a humorous example. We often are focused on our own needs, aren't we? Particularly at times of difficulty. Jesus, soon to be the sacrifice for sin, forsaken by his Father, 
and he knows what is coming. He is ministering to the needs of his own people, isn't he? He's ministering to the fears of his own disciples. And I just think, what a friend of friends. What a friend of friends. What a saviour we have. And throughout this chapter, chapter 14, Jesus is at pains to give his disciples grounds for comfort. And there are loads of grounds for comfort here. We're going to think about just one of them this evening. Uh, But uh, the second encouragement or grounds for comfort here, you see in verses 4 to 11, where Jesus is saying uh, that in Christ we have a certain way, a certain way to heaven. The third encouragement is that Christ's work will not stop even when he leaves and departs this earth. And you get that in verses 12 to 14. The fourth encouragement is that in Christ's absence, his disciples will not be alone. They will have the help of the Holy Spirit. And you see that in verses 15 to 17. The fifth encouragement is that Jesus won't be gone forever. He is most definitely coming back. And you see that in verses 18 to 24. The sixth encouragement is that uh, here the Spirit will teach the disciples and remind them of Jesus' own words. And you see that in verses 25 to 26. And then the seventh encouragement is that Jesus will leave not any old peace, but his own peace with them. And we've been singing about it a little earlier. And now I think that's a lot of encouragement, isn't it? Seven different grounds for comfort. Seven different encouragements here. And it reminds me of that hymn, Who Can Cheer the Heart Like Jesus? And we're going to sing that uh, in a bit. And the answer is, well, nobody. Nobody can cheer the heart like Jesus. So what about this first encouragement this evening? In verse 1, you have those wonderful words of comfort, don't you? Do not let your hearts be troubled. In a time of such dark turmoil, you have this great statement of peace. And time and time again throughout Scripture, the Lord tells his children, doesn't he? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And what strikes me often about these statements is what they're not saying. Uh, They're not saying that troubles, trials, difficulties, hard times, dark times will be taken away. They're not saying that. They're not saying that these things will be taken away. They're not saying that your life will all of a sudden become easier. Quite the contrary. It is in the midst of these times we are not to be afraid. It's in the midst of these times that we are not to let our hearts be troubled. And I think Psalm 23 is a good example of that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I think of the Christmas story when the angel comes to Mary and he tells her, do not be afraid. Well, do you know what? Mary's life is not suddenly going to become a bed of roses. In fact, her life is going to become a lot more 
hard, I think, as we know. And then in John chapter 14 here, Jesus was speaking to a group of people who he knew were going to go on to face trials of many kinds. They would be terribly persecuted and most of them would eventually end up being executed for proclaiming that Jesus was the Christ. But Jesus is here telling them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Well, how were, we, how were they to do that? Well, the next half of verse 1 tells us, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Well, the commentators, the brainy people, they tell me that these statements here, these two statements, they are imperative. In other words, Jesus seems to be saying to the disciples, as pious Jews, you carry on trusting in God. Yes, you carry on trusting in God. But as young Christians, and that is what they were, as young Christians, have more faith in me. Have more faith in me. And that's the thing, isn't it? As we read the Bible, it's clear to me uh, that saving faith doesn't come to us on one level. Not all Christians have the same amount of faith, and we do not go through life with that same amount of faith. We go through times when our faith is stronger than at other times. You think of Peter walking on the water as a prime example of that. We know the story well, I'm sure. When he wasn't looking at Christ, what happened? He sank. But when he looked at Christ, he was able to walk on the water. You read Paul's letters. There's lots of examples of this kind of thing. In Philippians 1, uh, Paul is telling the believers there uh, that he wants to remain for the believers' progress and joy in the faith. And then in Colossians chapter 1, he is praying that the believers in Colossae, uh, that they would grow in the knowledge of God. Clearly, faith in Christ is not supposed to be stagnant. It is something that is alive, and so it grows and becomes stronger. And so Jesus here in John chapter 14 is saying, trust, yes, but trust more. If you trust God, then you'll trust in me. You'll trust in me as the mediator between God and man. But what Jesus is not saying is, trust a little bit harder. In other words, try a bit more. Try to believe a little bit more and your heart will be free of trouble. No, here he's giving them a wonderful direction for their faith. He's giving them a focal point. Those of you who like mountain climbing, he's giving them here an anchor for their faith on the cliff of life. What do we fix our eye of faith on? Well, one word, heaven. Heaven, that's what he's saying here. Heart trouble is taken away by a heartwarming vision of heaven. And what a beautiful name heaven is given by Jesus here in verse 2. In my Father's house. I love that. In my Father's house. Heaven for Jesus was home, wasn't it? It was home. It was his father's house. And for the Christian, surely 
for anybody here who says that they are Christians, where is home for you? Home should be heaven, shouldn't it? Now, do you love being at home? I like being at home. I don't know if you have dogs and young children, perhaps being at home is not quite the uh, wonderful thing that it could be where something could jump on you at any second. But home is a wonderful place, isn't it? Um, During lockdowns, I loved being at home. I loved being with my family. It was wonderful. But I love what J.C. Ryle says about home. Listen to this. Home is the place where we are generally loved for our own sakes and not for our gifts and possessions. The place where we are loved to the end, never forgotten and always welcome. That's wonderful, isn't it? Are we as Christians looking forward to going home? And when I say home, real home. Are we looking forward to going to that real home? Because what is this home like? Verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. I like what Marion Thomas, he was preaching in the Aberystwyth Conference last summer, and I think he was preaching on this passage, uh, and he mentioned that he preferred other versions to the one that I've read uh, that uh, talks about this verse. Uh, He says that, Uh, In other versions, you have many mansions, and he prefers mansions to rooms. I think we all do, don't we? Many mansions. What are these mansions like? Well, these mansions are lasting. They are permanent. They are eternal dwellings. Here in the body, what's it like? Well, we're in lodgings. That's how the uh, Bible describes the human body. They are lodgings. They are tents. They are tabernacles. Hebrews 13, verse 14. Here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. 2 Corinthians 5, 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal home in heaven, not built by human hands. Tents. I have a love-hate relationship with tents. I've camped a lot in my life. Um, I think tents are great for the summer months and when they actually work, when they keep the water out um, and when you're not in them for too long. I think the longest I've done in a tent is a week and that is plenty. That is plenty. Um, I've woken up in a tent. I remember this on an EMW camp once when I was a kid. I woke up early one morning and I could hear the leader frantically digging outside. uh, And there was a river running just beyond the end of my sleeping bag, right through the tent. Uh, I have been, and that's what he was doing. He was building a trench or digging a trench so the water would uh, subside. Um, I've been in a tent in February when I could see my breath freezing on the, uh, the roof uh, of the tent. I've been uh, up at six o'clock in the morning helping my brother reattach his uh, whole tent because it had fallen down in the night. He hadn't done a very good job of uh, attaching the guy ropes. Uh, tents, they're okay for the short term, aren't they? Uh, but they're not something for the long term. And it's just like that for our bodies. Our bodies are tents. They're just for the short term. Much better dwellings are coming. Do we know that? 
much better dwellings are coming. And these dwellings are in a place that is just simply huge. We can hardly imagine it. In my father's house are many mansions. Now, in Matthew 7, 14, Jesus is describing the Christian life. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. But you read elsewhere in the Bible and you see that Abraham's descendants will be as numerous, Genesis 22, 17, as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And in this place, we read it, there will be a great multitude, Revelation 7, 9, that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. As Christians, we might not be accepted on earth, but there, there will always be room for us. And there's going to be quite a lot of us there. Quite a lot. Um, again, J.C. Ryle, he describes heaven as a prepared place for a prepared people. And that's what it is, isn't it? You look at verse 2 here, Jesus says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. Has Jesus gone back to heaven and has sat down at the right hand of the Father and is doing nothing? Well, not at all. Not at all. Christ right now is busy. He is busy. He's busy preparing a place for us and is continually preparing that place for us so that it is a prepared place for us. He's uh, busy presenting the merit of his sacrifice for our sins as our high priest. He is busy removing the barrier between God and man. He is busy appearing as our representative and he intercedes continually for us, making us always acceptable to God in his sight, even though, of course, we are not worthy of these things. He is busy through the Holy Spirit, sanctifying us. Uh, and another lovely thought that J.C. Ryle gives here is that when we get to heaven, we will neither be unknown nor unexpected. And I love that. We will neither be unknown nor unaccepted. What a welcome we're going to have. And I can't wait. I can't wait for heaven. And he's not gone forever, has he? He's not just busying himself in heaven and that's it. He's kind of leaving us to our own devices. No, one day Jesus is coming back. And you see that in verse 3, don't you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Now, in school at the moment, we are studying the Second World War. And I love the Second World War. It's my favourite period of history. So as I was preparing this, uh, Vera Lynn was in my mind. And you know what song uh, I'm going to mention here. Uh, we'll meet again. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. You'll be, you're all right. Uh, but the words are this. Uh, we'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know when. But I know we'll meet again some sunny day. And I think the idea behind that was that even though this awful war was taking place, well, one day this war is going to end and we'll all be back together uh, in our families uh, once again. We'll see our loved ones uh, when the fighting 
uh, was over. I think the hope of heaven is at an absolute another level to what Vera Lynn was singing about. You think of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. Listen to these words. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Wow. Do you ever think about when Jesus is coming back? It's incredible, isn't it? It is amazing. Can you imagine that day when Jesus returns? I can't wait. I can't wait for that day. Are you like me? Can you not wait for that day? That's what I'm like. Are you like that? I can't wait. Meet again some sunny day? No, it's going to be much better than that, isn't it? It's going to be much better than that. It's going to be simply wonderful. But you know what? That's not even the half of it, is it? It's not even the half of it. I think the climax of this little passage this evening is at the end of verse 3. I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Do you know heaven is heaven because Jesus is there? That's what makes heaven heaven. It's because Christ himself is there. You see it in 1 Thessalonians, don't you? Don't you? And so we shall be with the Lord forever. And I find that such an encouragement. It lifts me out of this life. It really does. Because life on this earth, as we all know, can be for so many incredibly lonely. Loneliness is a terrible thing. Christians themselves, really, we are never alone, are we? We are never alone. We have Christ with us every step of the way. And you see it in Psalm 23 again, don't you? He's with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. But that does not prevent feelings of loneliness and abandonment and isolation. But not in heaven. We'll never have those feelings. Not in heaven. We'll never be alone. We'll never be neglected. And that's the plain truth of the end of verse 3. Yes, there will be many mansions. Yes, there will be wonder of wonders. People from every tribe and tongue and nation all worshipping the Lamb. But the best bit, the best bit of all is that Jesus will be there. Jesus will be there, and heaven really is being ever with the Lord. Yes, life is hard, isn't it? Life on this earth is chaotic. It's sad, and often it's senseless. It feels senseless. And I think this side of eternity, it is difficult to see the lights of glory through the murk and the darkness. 
But Jesus tells us here, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. To trust God, to trust also in him. In his Father's house there are many mansions. And right now, as we sit here this evening, he is preparing a place for us. And if he's doing that, if he's preparing that place, that means that he is going to come back and he's going to take us to be with him where he is. And I think as we close this evening, the hope of heaven should not just be something inward looking, not something just for us to think about for ourselves, but really it should stir us up to tell other people about this place. Because do you know what? People don't know about this place. They really don't. Not in this day and age. We need to tell others about this place. I think it is tragic. It is tragic that there are so many people around us living in a dying world with so much death around them and they are just clinging on to that fading hope of what this earth can offer when they could have this. They could have this. They could have heaven. They could have Jesus. It reminds me as we finish uh, this evening of Martin Luther King. You remember his speech, I Have a Dream. Uh, he concludes that speech, doesn't he, by quoting that old Negro spiritual, Free at Last. And the speech, if you've listened to it, it rises to a crescendo. And he says, Free at Last, Free at Last, Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Well, I think as Christians, on that day when we get to those pearly gates, our song is going to be home at last. Home at last. Thank God Almighty, we are home at last.